Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Hey, welcome to this episode of Image Bears Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. And I hope you are doing well today. I hope your week is going well. Uh, we are in the month of Elul. And so I hope that uh, Father is speaking to you about uh, your heart. I hope you're doing some introspection uh, and I hope you are uh, doing some good repentance uh, and not only in our minds and our words, but in our actions and our hearts. And uh, it's an exciting time as we approach the fall feast. So I just hope this is a great time of growth and, um, and cultivation for you in your life. Uh, if it's your first time stopping by, then I just want to say thank you for uh, taking a moment to join the conversation at Image Bearers Radio. And uh, for those of you that are faithful, loyal listeners, thank you guys and gals so much for uh, the community that you're creating and for all the feedback and just all the goodness uh, that you bring to our community. So uh, I want to just make a quick uh, apology or just a, <laughs> a quick statement. I'm actually doing this in my car I'm actually recording in my car today. The last few weeks have been just absolutely nuts, and the next couple of weeks we'll be traveling um, in and out of, uh, of town and all this kind of stuff. So um, I find myself having to be at a place for a few several hours, um, and I just thought I'd give it a go in my car. So if you hear horns and background noise and things, I apologize. Um, this is uh, this is what I got today, and I wanted to get you an episode, so uh, this is where we are. So uh, I also want to make a quick announcement, um, just really quick. Uh, this week's episode will air um, August the 18th, Wednesday, uh, that Thursday, Friday, and uh, or Thursday, yeah, it's, uh, Saturday, or Sunday, either way. Um, but if you're hearing this before uh, the weekend, I want to let you know that uh, this Shabbat, August the 21st, um, I have the privilege of joining some wonderful teachers uh, at an event called Messiah Meetings uh, that's kind of put on and hosted uh, Mason Clover, the guys at Lion and Lamb. And uh, it's a really, really cool event, one-day event. Uh, this weekend, it is in the Dallas, Texas area. And so if by chance you're listening to this and you're close to that area, um, it begins at noon and wraps up at 8. Uh, there's a ton of different teachers and uh, speaking specifically on, on Messiah. And, uh, and this weekend in particular, uh, speaking on the parables. And, uh, and so it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. You get to meet a lot of great people. If you're in the Dallas area, check out messiahmeetings.com. And there you can register and you can get more information. Uh, I do believe it's going to be live stream as well. 
And so, again, it starts at noon Central Time on this Shabbat, August the 21st. Uh, teachers like Ryan White, Matthew Vanderels, Matt Knapper, um, just a, a host of great teachers. So if you're in the Dallas area, come out, hang out with us, come say hey. And uh, if you're not able to make it in person, then uh, check out MessiahMeetings.com, and there you'll be able to get all the information and live stream as well. So I hope to either see some of you in person or to uh, be able to catch you online. And, of course, I think it will be recorded and edited and all that stuff for later. So you can always catch it later if you'd like to. So really excited to be involved in that event and uh, hope to see you check it out, take advantage of, uh, of the free event. Uh, let's pray and then we will get into this week's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King. Avinu Shabashimayim, our Father in Heaven. We bless you and we thank you for this opportunity, Father, to be together. Thank you for the platform of Hebrew Nation Radio and for technology. And we just, we love you and we want to make your name great. Help us do that by our conversation today. guys so hey um this week we usually try to follow the partiote last week we didn't have an episode i apologize i was out uh, a little end of summer trip with my family and um so didn't get an episode out to you last week so please forgive me for that but uh this week we are in parsha kitetse and uh, while there's a lot of stuff i would love to talk about in kitetse um I, I feel the pull to talk about current events today, and you know, every once in a while we do this, we kind of just pull out of a schedule and just talk about what's going on. Um, I actually want to jump off um, of a verse in Shoftim in last week's Parsha, uh, and really it's the, the very beginning. But before we do that, before we get into that, um, many of you will know if you're listening to this this week, uh, if you're listening back later, um, this is uh, today's date as of recording is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. And um, guys, our world is on fire. Now, I am not, I'm not a, ne- I'm, I'm a negative person by, um, by personality. Just me, me, I'm negative about myself, you know, critical and stuff like that. Tend to have more of a critical bin than a really optimistic bin, uh, which Baruch Hashem for a great wife who is bent the other way that balances me and uh, all of you husbands and wives out there that experience the same thing. I know you can say amen. Um, and so, but I, I tend to be more critical, more pessimistic. And, um, but I, I try not to do that in, in ministry circles and in, in the message that I put out because I don't want it to be a, I grew up under negative messages where everything was critical, you know, and everything was you always do better, do better. And, you know, and those kinds of things. And, uh, and it gets, it, it really wears on, on, on people and it, it can become very toxic. So, um, I try not to do that in my, you know, my ministry and in, in the message that I, I, I get from the scripture. And I'm so I'm trying not to be negative. I don't want to be critical. Um, and I'm also I'm also not a conspiracy person. Um, I know that it can be really easy to get bogged down in the in the you know the different conspiracies and all, all the different things. And and you know I'm not I'm not criticizing those people that are in into you know those kinds of things. Um, and and finding out you know different 
different connections, and I'm not criticizing that at all. I just know me, and I know that if I uh, if I start down that road, then it's it has a tendency to swallow me up, right? So I try to keep a self safe, kind of healthy distance, um, but also try to be really aware of what's going on. And so um, I I look around our world today, and this is not because we're going to talk about politics today. But this is not because we have a Democratic administration over a Republican uh, administration. Um, this is just looking at what's happening and and going like, you know, it's a wake-up call. It's a time for us to be awake. It's a time for us to engage, not to shirk back and not to be asleep. And so um, I, I want to talk about that a little bit uh, in this episode, and, and I want to – I want to use uh, Shoftim, Parsha Shoftim, uh, will be Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we're just going to read uh, the first few verses, really. Um, and I, I want to jump off there and just kind of talk about where our world is today. Um, if you've seen in the news, I, I'm sure you have, unless you just don't have a television or social media, uh, which is probably not a bad thing. <laughs> not, that's, that's not a bad thing at all. Um, but we really sincerely need to be praying for um, the Afghan people. Uh, particularly those that are that are not associated with the Taliban. Of course, I mean, pray for those that are associated with the Taliban as well. Um, and I don't even just mean I've seen a lot on social media about pray for the Christians in Afghanistan and and the 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 horrific experiences that they are having and are going to have. Um, you know, there's been reports that pastors and uh, and Christian pastors are getting notes. Uh, threatening notes that you know the Taliban has been working on a, a list. They know who they are. They know where their meetings are, their home meetings, their underground churches are, uh, and they're going to start systematically taking out those pastors and congregations. And um, we, we, we in the in the Western Church, um, we have this fascination and this addiction with the Book of Revelation, and we we always have a future looking. Um, you know, posture towards the book and the message of Reve- the book of Revelation, and it's always things that are going to happen, or, or things that are maybe, be- oops, sorry about that, things that are beginning to happen, but not quite maybe in their fullness yet. And uh, while we are sitting in our air conditioned churches, while we are meeting in our air conditioned homes, where we have plenty of food and plenty of freedom to fellowship, um, and we do have freedom, guys. Um, I know that you know there's been a lot of stuff with the vaccines and, and all that. We have, we have more freedom than most people in the world, and we need to remember that. And that may be eroding. Uh, I feel like it may be eroding some, but we are still much more free um, than most of the world's population. And we need to keep that in mind and not take it for granted, but be very, very encouraged about that uh, and and preserve that. So. The 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 Christian church, the the Christian believers in Afghanistan need our prayers, um, but also the peaceful Muslims need our prayers. And that may be an unpopular statement, um, but the peaceful Muslims that don't agree with the extremist jihadist Taliban, um, they need our prayers as well because they are in a family and they are in a, in a family fight um, for themselves, the women and the children. Um, they're, they're going to be raped and pillaged and sold for slave. I mean, it's just, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And, and I can't, I just can't put it into words, um, how overwhelmed I am and how much it breaks my heart. And, and so we, we read about the book of revelation and, and what I want to, I want you to realize is that these people, they are living the book of revelation right now. 
revelation is real for them right now. And and so it, it, it has to make us pause and think, like, what is the book of Revelation? What, how do we read it? And, and and is how we've read it really profitable and fruitful? Um, because we complain about persecution and offense, um, and really we have absolutely nothing to complain about. We don't know real persecution. We don't know real offense. We don't know being stripped of our freedoms and being told by another group of people what you are going to do. Um, when it comes to the matters that, that are really essential to our faith, our family, etc. And, uh, and like I said, we may be getting a taste of that in the coming months in America, but these people's lives are at stake. Um, and, and, and so we really, really um, need to focus, focus you know, heaven with our prayers and intercede for these people. Um, but I want to ask you to do something else. I want to ask you to go online and find charities that are helping um, that are doing their best and, and put put our money where our mouth is. Um, it's it's first and foremost and wonderful to pray. We have to do that. And that is our privilege and that is our responsibility. However, prayer without action is 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 feckless. It's it's uh you know it's gutted, it's 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 neutral. Um, it's just words and, and maybe a great intent, but find some some nonprofits, find some some agencies that are that are getting food, trying to get rescues, trying to get people out, and and send them twenty dollars, send them fifty dollars, send them a thousand, whatever you can do, um, to put some feet and put some work with your prayers, um, because this is really where when we stand with the oppressed, when we stand for the oppressed, it cannot just be in our prayers. Like I said, I'm, I don't want to downplay the importance of our prayers at all. Please understand me. But when we, when we, the, when the scripture tells us to stand for the oppressed, stand for the widow and the orphan, take care of them. That's not just remembering them in our prayers. That's 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 putting money where it needs to be, putting resources where it needs to be, actually activating and doing what needs to be done in order to uh, to help and to cause change and to give some refuge. And so. Um, I really want to encourage you to do that, um, and and like I said, I've been traveling, so I haven't really gotten a chance to to look at any viable uh, organizations. But if you find any, please put them in the comments below um, this archive that will be on Hebrew Nation, um, and I'll also share this to our ministry's Facebook page, Out of Ashes, and uh, so put some comments there if you would about organizations that you know about that we can support. I think that'd be very very important. So. As I said, we are going to jump off uh, Parsha Shoftim from last week's Parsha. And Shoftim means judges. And this is a, I think, a timely Parsha for where we are. Um, and so I just want to read the first uh, few verses. This is Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16. And we'll start in verse 18 where the Parsha begins. And it says, Judges and officers shall you appoint in all your cities, which Hashem your God gives you for your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert judgment, you shall not respect someone's presence, and you shall not accept a bribe, for the bribe will blind the eyes of the wise and make words, just words, crooked. Righteousness, righteousness, or some of your translations will say justice, justice, shall you pursue, so that you will live and possess the land that Hashem your God gives you. You shall not plant for yourselves an idolatrous tree, any tree, near the altar of Hashem, your God, that you, uh, that you shall make for yourself. And you shall not erect for yourselves a pillar which Hashem, your God, hates. So what I really want to focus on is this first couple of verses, 18, 19. Um, 
judges and officers, you or shall you or you shall appoint uh, in all your cities. Um, judges were, you know, judges are the, the judges. So in, in Israel, in ancient Israel, you have uh, Moshe, soon to be Yehoshua, Joshua, as, as, as kind of the, the leader, um, not kind of leader, the leader of the nation. Um, you have the, the priesthood, uh, which, you know, take care of the sacred space and, and teach the people the ways to worship Hashem. And then you have judges, uh, which is the, the judicial system within the nation of Israel. They settle, you know, they settle disputes, they settle complaints and offenses, and, and they judge between one and another for the, best, for the best outcome for both and for the nation as a whole. Um, and so you have judges, and the judges were be to, to be positioned in the city gates, which is where, uh, where everything happened, you know, commerce, major commerce, uh, judgment, decision. In the city gates is where that happened. And then it says officers, and I'm not sure what yours says, officials, maybe it says officers. Now, who are these officers? Well, they're, they're basically the law, they're basically law enforcement. Um, they are, they're the ones that, you know, that, that deal with people every day and, and, and settle minor disputes and things like that. Um, and they're also the officers of the court, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, again, we, we can't think of ancient Israel as some like Neanderthalic civilization, you know, that, um, that, that they're, they're just a bunch of knuckle draggers, right? That are just, uh, putting together this really archaic form of justice. Um, their, their system of justice, if we read the sages and we read the history, ancient Israel's system of justice as the nations around it, um, was very sophisticated. Uh, it was very sophisticated. So much so that free nations like America base their judicial system on that of not only the scripture itself, but also the history of Israel. Um, and we, we read in this week's Parsha, Kitetsay, about things about, uh, you know, putting away a wife, about um, stoning your children is a huge one. I mean, how many of you, you know, that have begun pursuing Torah, been walking Torah? How many of you have had that conversation, right? <laughs> Where somebody goes, oh, you're following the law, right? So you're going to stone your children? And, and, that, and the, the question is so ignorant um, that it almost doesn't constitute a reply. Uh, and usually I don't don't reply. Um, I just tell people, well, just go read your Bible a little more. Um, and, you know, but we all probably there's a good chance we all once thought that very same way, right? So, I mean, we can't judge people too harshly. But um, we, we have all these things where God says, if you find somebody breaking the, command, the commandments, the Torah, then this is the justice, uh, this is the consequence that you, you know, that you put on them. And, um, and we read that and we tend to think, if we don't study it, we tend to think that, well, if we find someone uh, breaking a commandment, then, and like, you know, if we, if we are, uh, we're out in the field and we find someone breaking a commandment, we just grab the nearest stone and just knock them in the head. And that's the justice that God, you know, requires. And that's, that's not the case. In the case of the, um, the rebellious son, uh, we think, well, like any knucklehead kid, you know, that's just being bad. Um, any knucklehead kid, you know, a seven or eight year old or a 12 year old or one going through, you know, through uh, adolescence and, the, you know, the changes in adolescence, uh, if they're not listening to us after, you know, we've told them to clean their room three times, well, we just pick up a stone and kill them. And, that, and that's just that's such an ignorant and shallow understanding of the, the whole justice system of the nation of Israel. Um, there are there are balancing passages 
um, that we find, I think, in last week's Parsha or Parsha before last. Forgive me for not remembering. Um, but the, the Torah is very clear to say that anyone, any man who accuses another man of, a, of breaking a commandment, and if the judges find that man guilty, then the accuser is, has to be the first one to pick up the stone. And man, what a balance for justice that is. What a balance for, uh, you know, just for fairness and for, uh, for equality in the justice system. You're going to be very careful to accuse somebody and go through this process if you have to be the one to exact, to begin the exacting of the consequence. I mean, that's, and that would follow over even for the stoning of a rebellious son, right? That you, that if you accuse your son, and by the way, that passage talks about them being rebellious and a drunkard. So this is not a child we're talking about. This is someone of age that that is just, you know, that is a detriment to uh, themselves, their family, the nation, the name of God as a whole, etc. And it's a long process. This is a long, long process. And the judges, actually, we know from Mishnah, Talmud, the, the, the judges and the sages actually say that these things never happened. These, these severe, harsh consequences, were ne that nobody was ever stoned. Like, and, and whether you believe that or not, it's up to you. But it just shows the balance to what seems to be really harsh judgment in the Torah that the Jewish people have worked a long time on on trying to, to make sure that like this these there's the mercy and compassion um, and, and righteousness and justice built into the system. Uh, and so that's why things like the uh, Torah Shebel, Shebel Pei, the, the oral Torah, the Mishnah stuff are so important because they do give us a balance, um, a real-life balance to the way that some of these things were done. Because Lord knows us as Christians, as Gentiles, if we had it our way, we'd do it sola scriptura, and we'd, it would be disastrous. It would be absolutely disastrous. So, uh, so those things are important. Are important. Uh, but judges and officers shall you appoint in, in your cities, in all your cities. You shall appoint. Um, you know, we, we think of America and, and the, you know, the vote and, that we have and the, the freedom and the privilege that we have to vote. Um, and yet this is based on Torah. Now, whether it was done by election or, or how it was done, you know, is a matter of study. And, uh, but, but God gave the people the responsibility to appoint the leaders. Well, yeah, but Joe, doesn't the scripture say that God puts who he wants in charge? Yeah, absolutely it does. Um, and but, but I believe personally that that's based on the righteousness or unrighteousness of the people. Um, that that is a direct reflection of the people. God will put who's in charge based on on um, on how loyal or disloyal the people are to the covenant. And so really the leader affects the nation, but the nation affects the leader as well. That's a two-way street. Um, that's not that's not a one-way thing that God just magically drops whoever he wants out of heaven uh, into position. That uh, that it is a reflection of the people because God tells them you are going to appoint. So if the people are in a, a state of loyalty and in a mind frame of loyalty, they're going to appoint someone who is loyal to Hashem and who will hold, who will hold them accountable to the covenant. If the people's hearts are turned away from Hashem, then who are they going to appoint? They're going to appoint unrighteous judges. And what's going to happen is that if they appoint unrighteous judges because of the condition of their heart and because of their perspective, then they are going to start to suffer oppression, unright, you know, uh, injustice, 
um, you know, they're going to start to uh, experience all these things, and then they're going to cry out for a righteous judge or a righteous king or a righteous leader, right? And so this is the way this happens. We see this through the biblical model. Read the book of Judges, right? Read the book of Joshua and then read the book of Judges. This is the, the, the cycle in the book of Judges. When I learned the book of Judges as a kid, it was called the sin cycle. Israel would mess up. They would repent. God would forgive them, etc. You know, judge after judge, back and forth. And yet, uh, you know, I've promoted the Bema pod, uh, podcast uh, with Marty Solomon and Brent Billings. I love it. I think it's awesome. And um, and Marty really helped me to reframe the the judges, the book of Judges, as not so much the sin cycle, but the redemption cycle. That God is always faithful, even when we elect unjust leaders, when we appoint unjust leaders and judges. God is always faithful. When when we get what we ask for and we start to get more than we ask for, God is always faithful to rescue us, to give us that next chance, to make sure that, again, it, it's we'll, we'll get into this in the next segment, but how justice and righteousness comes and how it's enacted in a nation um, is very important. Does it come from the top down or the bottom up? And that's something that I think we need to think about in our current day situation, the same as they had to do in Scripture. So hey, stick around. We'll be right back right after the break. everybody. Welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Again, excuse any background noise, any horns, any big truck sounds. I'm doing this from my car. <laughs> and so uh, trying to make it work so I can get you guys an episode. Uh, so, hey, life's an adventure, right? We adapt and we, we, we learn and it's, and it's awesome. So uh, we are in Parsha Shoftim, which is last week's Parsha, uh, but talking about current events and about what's going on. So um, so in the first verse, in verse 18 of this Parsha of Devarim, chapter 16, verse 18, Hashem gives Israel the responsibility to appoint their own judges and officers. And we ended up last uh, last segment, of course, talking about how the, the reflection, uh, the state of the nation uh, is reflected in the leadership and the people determine the leadership as much as the leadership uh, characterizes the people. So we see this in our in our own nation. And, and I want to use this to kind of veer off of scripture and begin talking about current events and, and kind of where we are now. I am. I don't talk politics a lot. I don't like talking. Po- Actually, I love talking politics. I don't like uh, talking politics in a in a one way kind of where it's just me talking at you. Um, I rather do it in a discussion type of setting. But um, this is this is what it is. So, um, uh, and everyone has an opinion on politics, right? And so these things are my opinion. They're the way I see things. It doesn't mean that they're right. I'm sure there's holes in it. I'm sure there's things I'm not considering, et cetera, et cetera, right? The bottom line is none of it has none of us has it all right, but it is good to listen to other voices and uh, and to hear and and I would love any feedback that you would you would like to give. So um, we are blessed in America that we have the right and the privilege to vote. Now I know there's a lot of scandal around the last presidential election, and I'll give you my two cents about it. Again, these are my two cents. If you don't like it, you don't have to. Not not a big deal. It shouldn't change your life if you disagree or agree. 
but it may be helpful for some um, to understand and to think about the last election a little bit differently. So if you were, if you were depending on what camp you, you're in, or it doesn't matter really what camp you're in, um, we have to, you know, when we think about voting, we have an amazing privilege and right and responsibility to vote. The thing about, the thing about rights that we often forget is that rights have a balance within the idea of rights uh, given by our constitution, given by God, etc. Within the concept of rights, there are two different things that are working that, that naturally balance each other if they're, if they're taken seriously. A right is a freedom, is an ability, is, a, you know, is an ability to, to do something, to make something of your life with your life based on a freedom that we've been granted by, by our creator uh, and, and upheld by our legal system, by our constitution. Now, w- one thing we have a, somewhat of a problem with, and this may be a southern thing, this may be a national thing, I don't know. Um, but I grew up in the South, and so this is what I know, that it is hard for uh, evangelicals especially, southern evangelicals, uh, traditional, fundamental, believing you know, Christians, believers. It is hard for us sometimes to separate our patriotism from our relationship with God and our religion. And, and there doesn't need to be a complete separation, but um, the American Constitution is not Scripture. It's based off of ideals of Scripture, and yet it is not the gospel. Um, neither is a politician. Uh, I don't care how conservative or libertarian or how liberal or whatever, whatever I, they're not. Those people are not, um, you know, they're, they're not the Messiah. They're not God. They're not our Savior. Um, they, they can be a part of restoration and preservation of freedom, or they can be, again, an adversary against it. Um, but we, we have to start to learn to kind of separate a little bit that we, we are of a different kingdom, and yet we have to be engaged in this time because Yeshua said the kingdom is here among you, in you. So it can be a fine line. Um, but it saddens my heart when I see pictures of, of you know, Biden and Yeshua, or, you know, Obama and Yeshua's face or Trump and Yeshua's face. Like, again, it's not a Trump. It's not a Trump or anybody. It's not a Democrat or Republican thing. It's just the way we think about the whole system in general. So um, we we have this incredible privilege to vote and and what's happened in the last election cycle couple of election cycles is that confidence in our vote has been eroded right well does my vote even count and i know i know tons of people that just don't vote because they don't believe that their vote counts because we have this thing about election fraud right and election integrity or lack of election integrity and, and I just want to give you my two cents and let you know that, you know, was there fraud in the last election? Yes. Now, you may think, well, yeah, that's right. Amen. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Before you, you think that I'm in your camp all the way, there's fraud in every election. There has been fraud in elections since elections began to be a thing. Well, how do you know that? Because people are people and people desire power. And when people desire power, they will move heaven and earth to get it. So even in the ancient cultures, when there, you know, when there would be any type of democratic process, there are still those with money and power that are going to coerce and manipulate those around them to support them. That's just, that's, come on, come on, guys. I mean, that's human nature. That's the way power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So is there election fraud? 
Yes, because it's a it's a flawed system. There is no way for there not to be election fraud in some capacity. And I know people from other countries may be listening or, oh, yeah, but we have this. And I get it. And and your system in your country may be cleaner and easier and more uh, more transparent than ours. But there is going to be inherent inherency in, in the fraud. Now, would it be great to be able to completely and, and totally trust the system? Absolutely. And that's what we should be fighting for. Because the vote is our voice and because people have believed through the generations have believed in that freedom so intensely that they have given their lives. Husbands have lost wives and wives have lost husbands and children have lost mom and dad and and parents have lost children over this, their belief in, in your right to speak your voice and to, to speak your values through your vote. And so we, I don't care if you don't believe your vote counts, go and vote. If even if not to, you don't believe it affects the election in honor of those people who gave their lives in order to preserve that right for you. Was their life nothing? Was their life have no value? You might not agree with wars and the pot. I don't care. Go and vote because someone, someone, uh, cut, you know, allowed their own lives to be cut short so that you could have that privilege that they no longer have. So was there election fraud? Absolutely. Was it enough to change the election? I don't care. Any election fraud is, is too much, but it is inherent in the system. But for those of us who are traditional patriotic Americans, we tend to hold on to the idea of America as the idea that, so I'm 40, grew up in the 80s and 90s, I tend to to think of America as what I grew up in. Uh, small town, personally, uh, neighbors helping each other, conservative for the most part. The nation as a whole um, was conservative for the most part. Um, you know, very wholesome, uh, more more Christian, Judeo Christian value leaning. And, and that's the America that I know and love. And that's the America that I, that's what I think works best for America. That's my opinion. If you don't agree with that, it's okay. But that's my opinion. What we've seen, what I've seen in, especially in the Torah movement and in, in the conservative movement since the last election, since the toppling of Donald Trump, what I've seen is, and let me just be completely transparent. I'm a conservative probably more libertarian than conservative, but I'm a conservative. I vote generally Republican. Um, I voted for Donald Trump both times. Do I love his character? No. Do I, do I think he's a good man? Uh, well, I mean, he hasn't always been. Um, I know I listen to his employees that, that have been interviewed and they say he's a wonderful boss. Um, his children seem to love him. Does he say dumb stuff? Absolutely. Uh, does he have some character flaws? Yeah, boy, no, no doubt he does. Um, but I just want to be transparent so everybody understands this is the perspective I'm coming from, but I hopefully want to balance this so we can have a bigger conversation. And the, the, the fact of the matter is that America, let, let's say there was, just take, take it as a given that there was election fraud, just because there always has been and there likely always will be. Let's say Joe Biden won the election. Kamala Harris and all and the Democrats, they let's say they won. 
legitimately. What, what my, my point is that we focused on fixing the election system, and that has to be a focus, and that has to be a priority. However, is anyone considering the fact that maybe, no, maybe Republicans and conservatives, maybe we got outvoted. Maybe we legitimately got outvoted. Maybe, and even if we didn't legitimately get outvoted, there are a lot of people in this country that don't think the way that you and I do, brother, sister, Christian, conservative, traditional, fundamental believing, you know, Judeo-Christian. There, there, there is a growing portion of this country that does not want the country that you and I grew up in. They don't want a biblically-based Judeo-Christian country. They don't want conservative values. They don't want uh, they don't want life begins at conception. They don't want, they don't receive those, they don't accept those things. They don't accept traditional one man, one woman marriage. They, they don't want that. And a growing, uh, the population in our country may very well be growing to where we, the, 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 the traditional conservatives, we are, are maybe already the minority. And I don't, I don't know that that's true. Of course, I haven't polled every single person in America. Nobody has. My, my point is that we are focusing on fixing the mechanics of the election, which is a priority. But has anybody considered that maybe even if we fix the election, the, the, the mechanics of the election and have integrity, complete integrity in the election, maybe we still may get outvoted? And so maybe the issue may not so much be or it may not all be with the mechanics of how we do our elections. Maybe our real issue is the hearts of people. It's the hearts of Americans. And where are Americans at? What do Americans want? Brown, white, white, black, yellow, doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Gay, straight, man, woman, young, old. What do Americans want? We may, we may be surprised. We may fix the election system, and we may still get outvoted. And then what are we going to do? Then the question becomes, well, do we, do we, do we as conservatives and, and you know, Republicans or whatever, do we take back power over the government and then legislate morality? Hashem told Israel, you appoint, you appoint judges. And we talked about how the, the, the leaders reflect the people as much as the people influence, uh, the leaders influence the people. And so what we can't do, we have to be consistent. What we can't do is say, oh, well, the liberals are trying to legislate, you know, they're trying to push through their agenda and fundamentally change America. Yeah, they are. What we can't do is we can't say, well, we need power of government back so we can, we can push through our agenda and we can legislate the way the, our morality. Because what happens? Where does morality come from? Where does righteousness and justice, justice which are the foundation of Hashem's throne, and, and, and he says in this Parsha that, that um, they shall, uh, righteousness, righteousness, you shall pursue, Right? Um, what, where does that come from? Does it come from legislation or does it come from the hearts and minds of people? And what my fear is and what grieves my heart is that we're focusing on the shiny thing of government and election, you know, integrity. And, and maybe what we should be focusing on is having conversations with people that are not like us, with people that don't agree with us, with people whose politics are not like us, with people who don't identify as we do 
and, and having real serious conversations and actually being kingdom ambassadors. You know, that's what we're called to be, kingdom ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? They deal in diplomacy. They deal in relationship. Are we so huddled? The, 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 the misconception, I think the, the gross misconception is that if we stay in our fellowships and churches and we make those righteous and we just make disciples for Yeshua, then everything will filter down and everything will be okay. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the church, the, the religious community has, has been doing for the last 60, 70, 80 years. Has it worked? I would argue absolutely not. Churches statistically in the last 10 years, 20 years, churches are dying. The millennial generation, these new generations, they could give two flips less about church and really about God, to be honest with you. It's just not in their conversation. It's not in their everyday dialogue. They're not sitting around with their friends talking about, man, should we really go to church this week? You know, or hey, like, what do you think about God? And what do you think about the Bible? They're not having those conversations. It's just not in their, it's not in their worldview. What happened in one or two generations to, to have that change? My argument is that we've sat in our churches and our fellowships and, I've, and we've, we've tapped ourselves on the back and patted ourselves on the back that we have the truth. We found the truth. We're right. And we, you know, we blah, blah, blah. And all this malarkey that we've heaped these praises and this credit, and this honor that we've heaped on ourselves. We've done that and thought, well, as long as we're right, as long as we've got good Sunday school programs and VBS programs and good, you know, Torah portion things for our kids and, and we've got good Sukkot events and we've got good, you know, this and that, that as long as we're righteous, then that'll filter out and the government will change and we'll, you know, then we'll, you know, and, and it has, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. For those believers that are still fighting the culture wars, guys, let me be real Southern, y'all. Y'all, we lost the culture wars in the 60s. We haven't, the church hasn't been engaged in, 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 a, in any formidable way in the culture wars since, for, for what, uh, 60 years. And we still think that people are listening to us? No, we are listening to us. We're in an echo chamber. And we find people that agree with us and we pat ourselves on the back because, well, at least we got it right. And the world is not being affected and being changed by our message. We lost the culture war. And you know what else we've lost? We've lost political standing. We've lost political standing because the church disengaged from the government and said, well, our job, we're not of this kingdom. Our kingdom is over there in heaven and we need to, we need to, to, to store up treasures in heaven and this world can go to hell in a handbasket because our reward is later. And, and we've, we've, so, so what do we do? So then we have abortion. And all the, every, all the Christians pull their hair out. No, how could this happen? How could it happen? You let it happen. We let it happen. Gay marriage. Oh, how could this happen? How could you let it happen? You disengaged. Oh yeah, but we protested and we signed petitions and we called it. Yeah, you did when it became an issue. But where were you in the years previous? Where were you in the years before that? Where were, where has the church, where have we been? Where have we been? We, we flame up when issues come up, but where are we in everyday life? What are we doing every day? Are we talking to, to people on the other side of the political spectrum? Have you sat down with a transgendered person? 
and ask them to tell you their story? Have you sat down with a homosexual person and 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 didn't try to get them saved, didn't try to beat them with the Bible, didn't try to don't bring up scripture, don't, and and just at, taking someone to lunch that's not like you and said, I want to buy you lunch because I really am interested in your story. Oh, well, they're just, they're, God calls them an abomination. So, you, you know what? They're a soul. I, this is unpopular, I know, and it may be uncomfortable. But Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God created humanity in his image. You just wrestle with that. Take If you don't remember anything else I've said this episode, you take that passage and you just wrestle with that. Wrestle with it because it should cause you to wrestle. God didn't create Christians in his image. He didn't create Jews in his image. He created humanity in his image. That Genesis, well, go, go back and listen to our Genesis studies. God created humanity in his image. So I don't care if I don't, I don't agree with a homosexual relationship. I, I think it's what the Bible, it's an abomination. God hates it. But you know what? That's still a soul. That's still two souls. And if I really say that I represent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the heavens and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, if I really say that I, I wear his name, I wear, I carry his reputation, and I demonstrate the reputation of the creator of the heavens and the earth, then I owe it to those people more than I do to my Sunday school class or to my Shabbat school class or to my VBS kids or to my youth group or to my men's group or women's group or the prayer group that I'm in, to the echo chambers that I've created in my life. I owe it more to those that homosexual couple or that trans man or woman. I can't remember the difference, so forgive me. I owe it more to them than I do to my echo chamber to sit down and care about who they are. That's a tough message. It's a tough message for me. I don't like it. But the truth is that what we've what we've been doing has not worked. We've disengaged. We pulled out and then we complain and we gripe and our hair is on fire when things don't look, the culture and the government doesn't look like we want it to. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. I want to I want to ask you a question to, as we start to kind of close up. And I want to question another question I want us to wrestle with. Not just you, because I'm wrestling with this as well. Is, is, is Yeshua's ultimate goal for his disciples to get people saved or to help people in their life, just generally? So, well, that's a weird dichotomy. Well, See, what I've noticed in the Christian, in my Christian upbringing and Christian, you know, um, background is that generally, by and large, most Christians, or many Christians, and I don't want to paint too broad a brush, but many Christians only interact with unbelievers or people that are different than them to get them saved. And if they can't get them saved, if they can't get them to pray a prayer, say some magic words, and, and you know, and whatever, if they can't get them saved by whatever definition your denomination used or uses, if you can't get them saved, then the relationship is no value then. The, the, that the relationship is just a means to an end to rack up another, another tick mark in your column and your quota of getting people quote-unquote saved and in the kingdom. And my question is, while that's important, listen, I'm not downplaying 
evangelism and and and, and talking to people about the gospel and and that no that is that is our job however do we care more about results and and numbers and quotas being met of of salvations is that yeshua's message that's my question is that his charge to his disciples was that what he exhibited and he exampled when he was here on this on this planet with us my my examination and and my study says n- n- no at least not as much as what we've made it yeshua's life and ministry and that of his disciples in my mind was much more about helping people in helping people deal with life making people's lives better does that mean making them more comfortable in their sin no, it doesn't mean more make, making them more comfortable in their sin. It means meeting them where they are and meeting their needs, whatever they may be, where they are, without an, without an end goal. Because I'll tell you this, I believe this in my guts and in my bones, and this has hit me the last couple of weeks. When I stand before Hashem, the great judge, I, I truly believe that I will get a better judgment if I made a relationships with homosexuals, with, with whatever, with, and I'm using, I don't know why I'm using homosexuals, that with, with drunkards, adulterers, whatever. If I made relationships with them and served them where I could and showed them the love of God and, and maybe none of them ever got saved, I think I'll get a better judgment if I did that, spent my life doing that, than the alternative that I just targeted people to quote unquote get them saved, but I really didn't give a flip about how their lives, the quality of life was, how they're how they're, they were living their life, what their challenges were. It's a challenging thing that I want you to wrestle with because I, I think change needs to happen. It has to come from Kingdom Representatives Ambassadors. That's us. We need to rethink this. All right. Love you all. Until next week. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. 